In this episode, I have the privilege of sitting down with returning guest, Justin Peters, to discuss three reasons why you should stop using Bethel and Hillsong music in your church. The three reasons are as follows. Number one, Bethel and Hillsong are not true churches. Number two, by using Bethel and Hillsong music in your church, you are subjecting weaker believers to heresy. And number three, even the non-blatantly heretical songs by institutions like Bethel and Hillsong are not scripturally and theologically robust enough to combat the heresy and idolatry that exist in our hearts. This is the second part of actually a two-part series. In this episode, we'll be addressing those last two reasons, reason two and reason number three. Hope you enjoy. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Um, if you don't mind, could you use, there was an analogy, an analogy that I heard you use. I think it was on, on Wretched Radio uh, with Todd Friel. And uh, it was so good. Uh, you, you, <laughs> it was strong. And I don't want to steal the punchline, but you were basically saying, we, we don't want to use music that comes out of these two institutions. We'll call them institutions because they're not churches. And then you named another institution. What if this institution that Christians know good and well that commits murder there's the there's the hint. Uh, what if they wrote a worship yeah. song? Will we play that in our churches? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I sure do. And I caught a lot of flack for it, but I stand by it, and I'll I'll double down on it. Uh, okay. So, and then and this kind of is related to another point that I guess we'll we'll get to. I guess we could throw it in here now. Uh, is the financial aspect of this? Mm. So. According to the CCLI agreements, licensing agreements, if a church is doing what they should be doing, then every time a church sings a Bethel song or a Hillsong song or a Elevation song, they're supposed to be sending in money to these respective institutions. You know, these respective, as I've referred to them, goat farms because they're not churches. <laughs> Uh, they're supposed to be sending money into these organizations. Okay. So you're enriching every time you sing one of their songs on a Sunday morning, you're sending in some money to these cults. Hmm. And the point I make here is this. All right. So they use their music as one of their main revenue streams. And one of the main ways that they broaden their tents and bring people into their cultish theological system. Hmm. So, now the argument is, well, some of their songs, the lyrics are okay. You know, some of their songs have good sound, doctrinally sound lyrics. And you know what? They do. Some of them do. Now, a lot of them don't, but some of them do. I, I would admit some mm -hmm. of their lyrics will pass a doctrinal smell test. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, well, as long as the doctrine's okay and the lyrics are okay, then it's no problem singing these, these songs. Well, well, here's the problem. Let's use this analogy. Let's suppose, and we'll illustrate absurdity by being absurd, but it makes a point. Mm. Let's suppose that Planned Parenthood had a board meeting mm -hmm. and they said, you know, guys, we really need to bring in some more money to our organization. And uh, does anybody have any ideas? And the guy at the, round, at the table, you know, he said, oh, I, I got an idea. Okay, what's your idea? Well, how about let's do this? Let's write some Christian music. 
Mm-hmm. And we'll make the lyrics pass a doctrinal smell test because we know the Christians won't, won't sing songs that are just completely outlandish. So let's, let's write some Christian music and we'll, we'll make the lyrics pass a doctrinal smell test and we'll sell it to the churches. And that way, every time all these evangelical churches sing one of our songs, they're going to be sending us some money. Hmm. So here's my question. Would you, if, if you knew that the music you were singing, the song you were singing on a Sunday morning, even though it had good lyrics, if you knew that your church was sending in some money every time you sang one of those songs to Planned Parenthood, would you sing it? And mm-hmm. I dare say that 99.99% of evangelicals would say, no, no, we're mm-hmm. not. I wouldn't sing that song. I don't care how good the lyrics are. I'm not sending money to Planned Parenthood. Rightly so. I would submit that by sending in, by singing Hillsong and Elevation and Bethel music, when you send it, when you sing their song, then you send them money. I would submit that that is worse than the illustration of Planned Parenthood because you are sending in money to a cult. You are sending in money to a cult that preaches a different Jesus and a different gospel that is leading millions upon millions of people straight down the primrose path to hell. Mm. Planned Parenthood is horrific, horrific. They murder babies, but they're lost. There's, they're lost. Lost people do what lost people do. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't excuse it. They will give an account one day. But Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation, they claim to be Christians. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would argue that what they are doing is worse than what Planned Parenthood is doing because they are yeah. blaspheming Christ, bringing reproach on the name of Christ, falsely prophesying in the name of Christ, preaching a false Jesus and a false gospel and leading people to hell under the supposed banner of Christ. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything worse than Planned Parenthood, it's that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people really bristled and they didn't like that, but I, I stand by it and I, right. I would just defy anyone to biblically show me where that logic breaks down. Yep. And if not, just for the sake of argument, if not morally um, more heinous, um, one of the big things that you're arguing is that the result, the effect is more heinous because you're talking about ultimately yeah. the end with Planned Parenthood, you're talking about physical murder. So the end of the physical life. Uh, but in the case of false churches um, that are preaching uh, damnable doctrine, um, you're not just talking about the end of physical life, uh, but you're ultimately talking about leading people to hell. So you're talking about eternal death. And so, um, so I think it's a fair it's a fair point. But I think that's really helpful to because a lot of people just probably aren't aware of that. Maybe some pastors are listening to this episode. You know, they they may not be aware that if they're doing what they're actually supposed to be doing. Um, there are royalties, you know, somebody writes a song and you don't just get to use it for free. And, uh, and so it is that, that financial support. So there's kind of three big reasons that, that I wanted to discuss with you, why churches shouldn't use Hillsong or Bethel music for worship. And so the first one is they're not churches. They're not true churches. Um, they, they are, they're, they're preaching and supporting heresy. And, uh, and so we don't, we don't want our worship music to come from, 
um, from heretics. Um, and so that's the first reason. The next two reasons that we're going to get to uh, are actually different than the financial reason you brought. So we'll call that, if nothing else, we'll call that our, our fourth bonus reason, because I, I wasn't even really thinking about that. But that's a really good point that uh, not only uh, one reason is that these aren't true churches. Another reason is that um, by utilizing their music in a worship service on Sunday, your church is actually supporting the prosperity gospel. In the same way that, you know, you would support a missionary, you know, it's like our church, you could, you could say that you could say, what is your, you know, what ministries does your church support? Well, we support this missionary, you know, in Zambia. And we also support, you know, Bill Johnson and, uh, and, you know, Hillsong. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wait a second. So that's, that's a really, I think that's a really strong and, um, and really well-made argument. So, uh, Real quick, before we move on from these aren't churches, if anybody's listening, then what is a church? What constitutes a church? Uh, one quote by John Calvin that I think is, you know, it's simple and helpful. Um, you know, the, the scripture, first and foremost, would say, you know, the first Timothy, that the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. And so uh, the church isn't just first and foremost, the church isn't just a place to love people, help people. Um, those things matter. Uh, we want to love our brothers and sisters in real tangible ways. James talks about that. First John talks about that. You know, you can't just wish them well and uh, say, be warmed and well fed. You know, so the church does uh, love and care for people and meet tangible needs. But first and foremost, uh, the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. It is a um, a gospel preaching and a law preaching, a Bible preaching church. It's, it is a beacon of truth in a dark in a dark world. And so uh, the, the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. And with that, John Calvin, you know, said this, that, um, that anywhere um, the word of God is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. And so we would say that um, no matter how sweet the people might be and no matter how many Bible verses they might, you can use a lot of Bible verses. Satan used a lot of Bible verses, but that doesn't mean you're using them rightly. And so uh, Calvin emphasizes the right preaching of the word and the right administration of the sacraments or for the Baptists out there that doesn't like the word sacrament, the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, and so wherever this is happening, the people you know, Calvin even, you know, he even adds, even if it swarms with many faults, if these two things right preaching, right administering. Um, and so really what it comes down to is the ordinary means of grace and the ordinary means of grace, just for the listener, I, I would, you know, most guys would boil them down to four. We preach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word and we see S E E see the word as it were, not in a literal sense, but we see the word, we get a glimpse of the word in the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's supper. And so that's, that's what this Lord's day hour is for. Um, and, and I think part of the problem, Hillsong and Bethel is, is really just, it's just the far reaching implications of a problem that starts a lot closer to home, which is, uh, getting away from the regular principle of worship, uh, uh, that, that we just, we're, we're just too, we just think we have a lot more creative license when it comes to our Lord's day gathering of the saints and worship than, than we actually do. And so if anybody was kind of listening to this and it's like, all right, you, you told us what false doctrines they're preaching and and that helps to know why they're not churches but what is a working a simple working definition of of what's the biblical criteria for a true church what makes a church a church and and Justin and I would both say um wherever in Matthew 18 wherever you have two or three 
So in, in terms of size, you don't even have to have a lot. According to Jesus, if you have two or three true confessors like Peter, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. So they've had a God given divine revelation that doesn't come from man. It can't be conjured. It's not of the flesh, uh, but God has revealed to them the person and work of Jesus Christ, and they've confessed it with their mouth and believed in their hearts. So they are true confessors who have made a true confession and they have covenanted with God, but also with one another to, to being faithful, to fulfill the great commission, to, to, to go baptize, disciple and teach. We always forget the last part, teach others to obey all of Christ's commands and to covenant in doing this together as a community, a family of believers. We, we would say that technically, um, that, you know, that, that could constitute a church and it may not be the best church. Um, but, but if you're on the mission field, the first thing you got to do is the work of an evangelist, right? You preach and you hope that the spirit works with the, the faithful preaching of God's word, word to convert souls. As soon as you got another soul that's converted, you're ready to plant a church technically, you know, and, and then eventually as people develop and they grow, then you, you want to look to people who are biblically qualified to be elders. And then those people should be teaching and not everybody else. Cause it's not, we're getting in a circle and everybody takes five minutes to share. No, those who are, are trained and, and those who are qualified are teaching God's word publicly, but that's what it means to be a church. There's a public preaching of the word and it's faithful. It's right preaching. There's a public praying of the word. Uh, there's singing of the word. So the songs we're singing, they're words centric, not just Oh, well, that technically didn't have any heresy in it. No, it's, it's saturated in the word. And then we're seeing the word in, in the Lord's Supper and the bapt, baptism. So a church is all about the word. It's word centric and it's a right use of the word, whether it's preaching or whether it's singing or, or whether it's praying or, or whatever it may be. And, and so what we're saying, Justin and I, is that these churches of Hillsong and Bethel, um, the, the, the word isn't even close to being central in their ethos, in their community, in their, uh, their it's the, the word is, is rarely anywhere to be found. And even if it is, it's not the right preaching of the word, the right use of the word. The word could be found on Satan's lips, but that doesn't make him a Christian or a pastor. Is there anything else you would want to add to that, Justin? Uh, a, a church is by definition, those, the, the called out ones, the ecclesia, mm-hmm. those have been called out from darkness to light, uh, from, from, death to life from uh, sin to newness of life in Christ, the, the people of God. And um, there are very few, I, let me say this, there is, there, there is a smattering. Sometimes I'm asked, well, are there any true Christians in these churches? There would be a smattering of some very young believers possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, they would have to be very young believers, very immature uh, because a, a in, in, in an all likelihood save not because of what they've been hearing, but in spite of what they've been hearing. So you might find a few Im, immature, genuine believers. But the thing is, is that, you know, we all start off as baby Christians, but the thing about babies is that babies don't stay babies. Babies grow mm-hmm. up, babies mature. And so you would find a, a grand sum total of zero mature believers in these churches, zero. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you're a mature believer, you're not going to be in a false church. Right. Mature believers don't worship in false churches. No, you're, you're right. It's the same. It's a, very similar to Catholicism. Like people will ask all the time, like, so are you saying that there, you know, um, that there are no Christians in, in Catholic churches? 
And I always answer by saying, I think there are plenty of Christians in Catholic churches. Um, a, a Christian in a Catholic church is, is what I would call a bad Catholic. A good Catholic, and when I say a good Catholic, I mean somebody who's fully prescribed to Catholic teaching is not going to be a Christian because Catholic teaching contradicts with it. And so in the same way, um, an, a, a bad Bethelite or a bad Hillsonger, you know, a.k.a. somebody who, who isn't really prescribed to everything and they're just immature in their faith, they could, you're right, they could absolutely be a Christian. In maturity, maturing in their faith, um, one of the things that Jesus is going to um, to lead them in is he's going to lead them out of that church and, and yep. their maturity is obedience. And so will they obey? Uh, if they're really mature, they'll obey Christ. And eventually that's, that's one of the things that, that in their study of the word is going to become clear to them. And, and so maturity in Christ will lead them out. So I, I completely agree with you. So the second reason that churches, local churches shouldn't use Hillsong or Bethel um, in their churches is um, kind of the, the gateway drug the, the rabbit trail, the hook that, that leads people, you know, they're, they're singing the song and they see that fine print. Right. And so Justin, can you, t- can you talk about that? Yeah. Uh, Bill Johnson has admitted that they use their music as one of their primary evangelistic tools. Um, that's how they broaden their tent. That's how they bring people into their heretical theological system is by their music. And, and the way it works is quite simply this, the unsuspecting person sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning uh, and they're looking up at the screen, reading the lyrics for the song and uh, they're singing the song and they see in the fine print down at the bottom, they'll say, they'll see music by Bethel or music by Hillsong. And they think, Oh, Bethel, Oh, Hillsong. Well, they must be okay. We're singing their music. So I think I'll check them out. And so that is how they, they suck in people. One of the primary ways that they bring people in to their cult is by their music Mm -hmm. and the unsuspecting person out there seeing that singing the song rightly would assume that these churches quote unquote must be okay because we're singing their music. Right. And um, yeah, I always just cringe when I go to a church and uh, they throw up a Hillsong song on the screen or a Bethel music. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just absolutely cringe because uh, these churches are exposing. I mean, I'm talking about the good churches that will sing, good right. churches that sing this bad music. They're, whether willingly or, or inadvertently, they are exposing their flock to the wolves. Mm-hmm. They're exposing their sheep to the wolves. And one of the primary responsibilities of a pastor, of an elder, is to protect the flock from the wolves. Mm-hmm. And so by singing this music, we're not protecting our flocks from the wolves. We're exposing them to the wolves. Right. We're, we're in, in yeah. inviting them to go into the, into the wolves layer. And mm-hmm. so uh, that, that is, that is one of the primary objections that I have yep. with singing Bethel or elevation or yellow song. You're right. It's um, I, I like what you said. We're exposing them to wolves. Um, and then I, I know you would agree with this. I would go even further and say we're, we're exp- as bad as that is a shepherd exposing his own flock of sheep to wolves. Uh, it's it's even worse because you're exposing them to wolves without identifying that they're wolves. So so you're yeah. exposing them to wolves that don't look like wolves that are wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing, you know, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And, and 
you're exposing them to this angel of light, to these wolves in sheep's clothing. And, um, and you're not even, you're not even giving them the heads up. Hey, so, so today during our worship service, we're going to give you a lot of good doctrine. We're going to give you, we're going to give you sheep, some, some good water to drink, some green grass. We're going to make sure you lie down, you get some rest and you're going to, you're going to have a good time. This is going to be good for your soul. Um, it's going to be pleasing to the Lord. Um, but we are going for a brief moment, about four to five minutes. We're going to go pass by a den of wolves over here. You know, you're not even doing that. I mean, that still would be absurd. It's like, why? Why? Let's just leave the wolves out of it. Let's not do a, a wolf field trip. Let's just let's just stick to the green grass and the still waters and the lying down and the things that are good for sheep. But you're, you're not even doing that. You're not just doing like, hey, we're going to we're going to walk by some wolves and you're going to get a view of wolves. You're, you're doing that while not even pointing out that they are wolves. So so they see those wolves for five minutes um, and then they go home and they're like, hey, I, you know, I, I'm going to go check that out. That was kind of neat. I, that cave over there and, and that animal it looked like I think it was a sheep and it must have been a sheep because my pastor wouldn't have have, you know, had me go up and shake its hand, you know, if, mm-hmm. if it wasn't. And so I'm going to go and, and have dinner at that sheep's house, you know, this week, you know, AKA yeah. I'm going to listen to all this music, but, but it's not just that. I mean, how do people look up music? A lot of time it's YouTube, you know, and that's how people are finding us, you know, me and you in this, this video right now, but people go on YouTube and it's not just music, it's music, music, music. And then it's teaching, you know, or, or it's, um, what is it, you know, um, Hillsong TV, you know, and, and, you know, and you go on there and it's like song, 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 Joyce Meyer teaching song, song, you know, and, and yeah, so it's just, it's, yeah, it's playing, it's playing with fire. It's not protecting. Um, it's, it's kind of like with, you know, a baby pen, you know, a baby pen with like a rattle and a baby doll and a snake. It's <laughs> like, so let's just go yeah. ahead and remove the snake. It's like, well, the baby pen's still really good and the snake's in the corner, you know, and the snake's not in the center of the pen, you know, it's like but can't we just have a snake free baby pen? Can't that just be a standard? I think that's a reasonable principle for baby pens. No snakes, right. not even little ones, not even in the corner, just no snakes. Yeah. And so, so yeah. I'm with you. So that, that would be our, so our first reason is Bethel and Hillsong aren't true churches. And second, second reason is, um, not only are they not true churches, but, but it's a hook. How, how what, what phrase do you use it? Like it's, it's, um, I keep saying gateway drug. I don't, I don't know. What, what do you, how do you describe it? It's the, it's the hook that they use to pull people into their heretical theological system. Yeah, That's right. You were saying it's their main tool of evangelism, I think is what yep. you said. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Main tool of evangelism, main outreach is their music. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Third, third reason that I had here, and you might have a, another bonus reason that you might be thinking of, but the third reason I had was just saying that I think it might have been D.A. Carson who said this back in the day, and I liked it. And once you say it enough, then you, you can you can say, you know, as I always say, but I'll give him credit because I, I know I got it from someone. It wasn't me. But I think he said that, um, you know, that there's there are there are worship songs that um, that may not be heretical objectively in their lyrics but their lyrics are so theologically anemic that it doesn't combat the heresy that's already in my heart. And I thought that was really good. Just saying that even as Christians, um, we're sinners, sinners saved by grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but every Christian, every step of the way, but especially younger Christians in the Lord, um, we're walking into the church on the Lord's day uh, with preconceived notions about Christ 
about God the Father, about the Holy Spirit, about the Christian life, about the law of God, about the gospel of God that are wrong, right? Like none of us have perfect theology. And so, mm-hmm. so even for myself as a pastor and for you as an evangelist who travels and teaches the Bible all over the world, um, there are still, there's still holes in our doctrine and, and things that, that we don't have a full proper understanding of and some things that we might have even a wrong understanding of. And so that doesn't make us a heretic per se, but there are certain things where, you know, we're like, and, and, and not even that, but just the, the pro, I keep thinking the prone to wonder. You know, um, which I think is a great song to use in worship. The, the hymn, you know, like prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that's the reality. And not just for the unregenerate, but, but even for the Christian, the fight for faith is a fight. Faith is not static. It's not the default position. So even for the Christian, it's like Pilgrim's Progress, right? It's this, it's a journey. It's, it's, it's uphill. It's, it's a battle and, uh, and it doesn't come easy. And so, with with all the wrong preconceived notions in our and, and and just the idolatry in our hearts, you know. So even if it's not heresy necessarily in our heart, there, there's idolatry in our hearts. Things that we love and cherish and trust in as Christians. I'm speaking to the Christian in that moment more than Christ. And and so on the Lord's day when we're singing, I don't just need songs um, that are heresy free. I need songs that are just like I need sermons and everything else and prayers. I need prayers, sermons, and songs that are nutrient dense, that are packed with um, not, not just that are heresy free or idolatry free, but are, are they're, they're packed with the nutrients that expel the heresy and the idolatry and the sin that I've already got in my heart that I already, that I'm showing up to church, not just to, because if, if not, then, then why, why am I even, what's the point? I'm showing up to church, not just to leave the same way I came in. I'm showing up to, to hear a word from God and, and for it to, to begin to expel, uh, expel rather, um, the, the sin in, in my heart. And so I, I just think there's so much better music. So could, could you, with, with that, like, what, what are some of the standards, I guess, this is, kind of maybe more of a personal question, but what are kind of the standards that you would hold for the worship music that a church should use? What makes the cut? How do, how do you determine that? Yeah, it, it's, well, it's, the lyrics have got to be, I mean, this might be an overused phrase, but doctrinally sound, they've got to be deep. They've got to be rich. You know, read the, read the lyrics of, of some of our hymns, like how, um, and can it be, you know, read those lyrics. They're profound. They're deep. They they point to God. Um, you know, they don't point to me. They're not shallow. Uh, and, and that's what you see with so much of the contemporary stuff that's coming out today. Not all of it, but most of it. It's It, it may not be blatantly heretical. I mean, you're not going to see a, a song from Bethel or Hill song that teaches like, you know, the little God's doctrine or something like that directly. Yeah. But, uh, but the the lyrics are so many of their songs. Well, a lot of them have a a romanticized view of Jesus. You know, it's a, this, a lot of their songs you could sing to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and it would fit right in. Right. Uh, right. But they're very they're very weak, uh, anemic. So uh, look for doctrinally sound, deep, rich, vertically oriented lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, lyrics that point to God 
ex, extol him, uh, exalt him, talk about his attributes, who he is. Um, yeah. And, and there's so no, much to good. choose from. I mean, you, you've got the, you know, the grace hymnal book and uh, even some of this contemporary stuff like the Gettys, for example, or right. sovereign grace music that they, they put out, you know, that's, that's good stuff. So yeah. I, I'm not, I don't believe that the canon has been closed on music writing. I, you know, I don't believe mm-hmm. that if you're, if the song you're singing is not 300 years old and it's not a good hymn, I, I don't, I don't, right. I don't hold to that. There is some good stuff that's still being written today, but, uh, but there's a lot of bad stuff out there too. And so mm-hmm. look for meaty, look for meat, you know, you want, that's good. You want meat in your preaching and you should want it in your, in your worship as right as well. Music part of worship, I should say. No, that's really good. I like how you said that the vertical, um, vertical songs and, and you're right. It's like some of the songs, again, it's not necessarily the heretical, but I remember there was some song that we were singing at a, at a church when I was younger. Um, and it was, this was probably, oh, it was a church I was visiting and it was like, you make me brave. You make me, and it was just like, it felt like an hour, you know, but it was several minutes, I, I believe, of just repeating, you make me brave. And I don't even, first, I just don't even know what that means. I don't know what scripture you would point to. But I mean, there is a, the righteous are as bold as lions. There you go. There's a scripture, right? So there, but, but, but it, the emphasis wasn't on you. It was on me, what you make me, me now being brave. It's, so it's, it's just like for, for Three, three minutes, maybe that's an exaggeration, but at least a, a minute or two, literally just, you make me brave. You make me brave. On repeat. It's just anemic, no meat, no, no, no substance. And, and yeah, you, I mean, I could defend that statement, Christ makes us brave. Um, but even that would be an improvement, but it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm very certain, I remember this much, it wasn't Christ makes me brave. Even that I would have problems with because it's just let's stop singing about me. Let's just sing about Christ. Um, but but it's so it's it's me centered. It's not vertical. But it wasn't even Christ makes me brave. It's you make me brave. You know, like you said, it's something that I could turn around and you, you know, and sing to another person. I could you know sing to my wife. You know, I could put that as a part of you know a renewing of my marriage vows. You know, and and it's right. just so. So I'm I'm with you. Uh, so last kind of question because I know I don't want to keep you too much longer, but. Um, I'm curious. I know, I know your position cause we've already been talking about it, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I have to admit, I'm kind of fascinated. I disagree with it and I'll tell you why in a moment, but I am fascinated and I do appreciate and respect guys like Robert Godfrey, Rosario Butterfield, the exclusive Psalm singing crew. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's, we only sing Psalms, no hymns. Mm-hmm. It, it could be 500 years old. doesn't matter. We sing the Psalms and they would argue, you know, like, um, uh, I, I believe it's Ephesians. Maybe it's, what, what is the text that says Psalms, um, hymns and spiritual and songs? Spiritual songs. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which do you remember yeah. the Colossians reference three. for that? Te- yep. Yeah, Colossians 3. Yeah, Colossians. So they would look at that and say, those Colossians are three, three different categories, subcategories of the Psalter, the book of Psalms. Are you familiar with that, this position? Robert Godfrey, mm-hmm. Rosario Butterfield. So what, what do you, yeah. I know that's not your position. It's not my position. And I, I have a few reasons why, but I, I want to get to you first. Well, uh, cause I mean, that would make it real simple, right? We, we yeah. don't have any problems, you know? So what, why, why, why would you, what would be your pushback to only singing the Psalms? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess kind of goes back to what I said a minute ago. I just, I don't, 
I don't believe that uh, that the canon of of writing vertically oriented God Christ exalting music is is closed. I uh, I, mm-hmm. I I love to sing the Psalms, but I don't think mm-hmm. that there's uh, that we have a biblical mandate to only do that. Uh, right. I don't think Colossians three in any way, in any shape, form, or fashion negates um, writing music. You know, God is, as uh, some be, some believers have the gift or whether they want to call it talent or gift of uh, writing music, and, and they do so in a beautiful way. Again, the Gettys, um, Sovereign Grace. I'm not, I'm not an, a music expert. I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but um, I, I, see no, I see no mandate from Scripture that we have to sing only, only the Psalms. Mm-hmm. I like to do it all about yeah. doing it, but I don't think you have to say that it's got to be that and only that. I agree with you. There was an interview I listened to once with Rosario Butterfield, which I'm really grateful for her. I'd love to have her on the show sometime, but um, awesome woman of God. I believe her husband is a pastor in the OPC Orthodox Presbyterian church and uh, God's used her immensely. Um, but I remember she was being questioned on uh, exclusive Psalm singing, uh, which is her position and the answer that she gave was, um, she said, kind of like what I was saying earlier, the heresy in my heart, the idolatry in my heart, the sin in my heart. You know, Calvin, again, you know, the heart is an idol making factory and I need the pure, unadulterated word of God on the Lord's day being sung to expel that. You know, so she kind of emphasized I'm because I'm such a wretch, because I'm so sinful, I need. And, and the guy who was interviewing her, who did not hold that position, his pushback was, well, what about preaching. What is, what is a sermon, but in it's an exposition, it's expounding on the word of God, right? We don't, with a sermon, we don't get up for 45 to 60 minutes and, and read verbatim scripture. Today's sermon is the book of Hebrews from start to finish without any exposition. And it, you, that's not, and so I would just say back to the ordinary means of grace, the, the, the four main ordinary means of grace on the Lord's day, when we gather together for worship, preaching the word, praying the word, singing the word and seeing the word, if preaching allows for exposition, right? It's word centric. It's an exposition of the word, but it, there is an exposition. If prayer is expound, you know, we want to pray, not, we don't want to pray the flesh. We don't want to pray the thoughts and opinions of man. We want to pray the word, but in our, a prayer, when we, when we pray, we don't just say, all right, so the prayer that I've selected today is, is a, going to be a word for word reading of Psalm 119. No, like we can pray for, things that are, are currently going on in our world today and rulers and th- things like that without it having to be a verbatim quote of scripture, but it's still word centric because the scripture tells us to pray about those things. And we're going to pray about those things in scriptural ways. And so when we preach, it's not just verbatim quoting scripture. When we pray, it's not verbatim uh, quoting scripture. So I guess my question to the exclusive Psalm singer would be, uh, how come with the ordinary means of grace, how come with preaching, it's not uh, verbatim scripture. Praying is not verbatim scripture. But when we get to singing the word, this one has to be verbatim scripture. So I was saying the same way that a good sermon, a good faithful sermon is expounding on a text. Man, if a, if a guy is writing a song and his, and, and his view of writing music is an exposition of a text, simply put, put to music for us to say, I, I, don't, I don't have any reason to say I can't do that without using that same logic to, to get rid of the sermon I plan to preach that Sunday. You know what I mean? So that, that's kind of the 
pushback that I would give to it. But that being said, I really do think, I really do believe that, that our worship music should, should feel it should be just as exegetical and, and robust as a good (laughs) expositional sermon. So the same kind of sermon uh, standards, I guess maybe we could say it like this, the same kind of standards that we would have for um, a good expositional preaching of the word of God I think we should have very similar standards for a good um, expositional singing of the Word of God. W- would you agree with that? Yep, I would. I would absolutely. Uh, the depth of our music should should be commensurate with the depth of our preaching. Amen. Anything big picture, so it doesn't have to be on this particular topic, but anything in what we've talked about now that you want to, you know, add just a, a last thought or two with. Well. God is the object of our worship, right? And we should bring our best to him. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Um, John chapter four. And so uh, I cannot imagine that the king of the universe would be pleased with us singing music that comes from people who preach a different king and who Mm. demote the king, try to take the king off of his throne. So, Mm. um, yeah, this is very serious. Uh, we have an audience of one. We've got one person that we've got to please. And um, he is God is the object of our worship. And so it's not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's not about our preferences. It's not about how music makes us feel. And the, yep. so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can, some of these songs, um, they might engage your emotions and they might give you little goosebumps on your arms or whatever. They don't <laughs> me, but I guess some people they do. But uh, that's not what worship is. Worship is not about how you feel. Worship is is vertically oriented to God, and it's got to please Him. We've got to worship in spirit and in truth. That's right. Amen. Well, in summary, our three reasons that we cited uh, for not using Bethel, Hillsong, we'll throw Elevation in there also. In your Lord's Day worship with your church is one, uh, they come from organizations, institutions that are not churches themselves. They don't meet the biblical criteria for being true Orthodox churches. Uh, Two, um, uh, it's a gateway. It's a hook that ultimately it's not being a faithful shepherd protecting the sheep. Uh, It leads them astray. They begin to, Hey, I like that song. They check out uh, the ministry and, and they start listening to the teaching so it can lead sheep astray. Uh, Three was, uh, it's just, it's theologically anemic. So even if it's not uh, blatantly heretical, um, it's not deep. It's not vertical. It's not, um, it's not expositional. It's not robust and theological. So it doesn't combat the sin that's already in our hearts and kind of our bonus reason uh, that we added towards the beginning of the episode that Justin added uh, was that in a a very literal and practical sense, uh, you are financially funding uh, these organizations, Bethel and Hillsong, when you use uh, their music um, in public worship. So that's it. Those are our reasons. Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, brother. You're welcome. God bless you. In, any way that uh, our people can follow you, keep up with you? Yeah, uh, I have a website, justinpeters.org. And so they can find out more about me and my ministry. Uh, justinpeters.org. I have a YouTube channel. I'm pretty active on that. Put videos out, you know, fairly regularly and um, Justin Peters Ministries Facebook page as well. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joel. All right. 
As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.